0: Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Kim Lim about animal chiropractics. Dr. Lim received her veterinary degree with honours from the University of Melbourne in 1990. She then entered small animal practice and was certified in veterinary acupuncture by the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society in 1992. She earned a master's degree in animal chiropractic from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in 2000 and has also completed the Animal Rehabilitation Program from the Canine Rehabilitation Institute. Kim has been an integrative veterinarian since 1996. She currently owns a solo practice in Geelong. She is also a national and international speaker has served the Australian Veterinary Chiropractic Association, the Australian Veterinary Acupuncture Group, and Geelong Australia Veterinary Association. Good morning, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pure Animal podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you, Sarah. I'm quite excited to um, join you and share what I know. Yeah, I'm really
0: excited too. I'm sure you know more than a little bit. Um, your your specialty is really canine rehabilitation and chiropractic science and acupuncture. So they're, they're the sort of topics that we're going to focus on today. But before we get into those, I'd really love to hear just about you know your life story, what made you want to become a vet and how you ended up um, working in the field that you are today.
1: Well, it was probably a combination of a love of science. I really like mm-hmm. how things i put together and I've since discovered that vets love fixing things. I thought it was just me, but it's actually lots of vets. Um, Discovering new things and my dad's love of nature. Dad, Dad was kind of a greenie before it was even a word. And, you know, my earliest memories of animals was watching a trail of ants crawling along the concrete and being fascinated by that. Yeah, um, right. So when I was young and we were growing up, we had we had mostly outdoor stuff, so little pocket pets like rabbits and birds and other small creatures and fish. Um unfortunately not dogs and cats because my mother, contrary to my profession now, um has a phobia about furry creatures. Uh. And and every furry creature looked like various sizes of rats to her. <laughs> So, you know, maybe as a teenager it was part of that rebelliousness that said, well, if mum doesn't like animals, maybe I'll go and work with them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, hopefully most people do but I kind of made up my own fun and the way I looked at things and and I kind of think, you know, if I'd been – I was brought up in in a Chinese culture where you just – listen to whatever your elders said and, and, and you just did that. But if I'd been brought up in a Western culture, I think I would have been really annoying because one of my favourite things in my head is to ask why about things. Yeah. So I would have been one of those little annoying kids that went, why, why, why does this work?
0: <laughs> so important though, isn't it, that curiosity? Oh, yeah, and I still
1: have that and, and I think I um, rather than – and than, Impart knowledge to my kids, I imparted that that love of curiosity and the the wonder of learning new stuff. I think hopefully that's holding them in good stead now.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And how old are your kids now?
1: They're 22 and 24. All right. So they're well and truly grown up, left home about four years ago. Yeah. So my kids are now the two cats okay, one of them's a Ginger who wants to be an only child as <laughs> the gingers do yes and the um and the chickens in the backyard.
0: oh that sounds so nice so you've so you want a bit of a farm?
1: No, no, but I've sort of got the best of both worlds i um I love gardening that's probably been my number one passion so I'm on a quarter acre block, one of those older all the style big blocks in Geelong. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably only five minutes away from the shops, but I've got a big enough garden. I can do all my gardening and mm. have chickens Lovely. and, you know, pretend I'm out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, being brought up a bit of a greenie, I I chose not to live in the country because that means you have to have a car and, and I chose not to own a car. So it's easy enough to get everywhere. On a bike, and um, and if I go to Melbourne, I catch public transport. Although not so much now with the various lockdowns and things.
0: Um, so that sounds like a really fascinating childhood and, and I can see where your you know, desire to become a vet um, was stemmed from. But what about what drove you towards integrative medicine and chiropractics and acupuncture? Was it something that you experienced early on in your career or at university or personal health um, sort of journey that you've taken? I'd love to hear about that.
1: Sure. So in my final year of vet school, I was fortunate enough to listen to a talk about acupuncture from mm. the late Dr. Ulrika Wirth, mm-hmm. um, one of our treasured colleagues, pioneers of veterinary acupuncture in Australia. And a lot of what she said resonated with me as, as it was part of my culture. You know, mm, my mother would talk about eating warming foods in cold weather. Liver was good for the blood, even though it tasted disgusting. <laughs> um, Different fruits were cooling, and, and so on and so forth. Mm. So, after five years of vet school, I come out and I think I am never going to study again because my brain is so full. There's nothing, no mm. space left. But yeah. I saw a postgraduate foundation course in acupuncture on offer, and I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go because I was I still had that curious mind. But I convinced myself it wasn't really studying. So, um, so that was the start of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, learning that as a new grad was probably not the best thing because I'm still trying to grasp just general medicine and, and skills yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, um, And in those days, you didn't get m- much continuing education. There's no online stuff or whatever. So the only continuing ed- education we had was maybe um, an ABA conference every second year or so, if, Yeah. you know. Timing was right, and I could go to it, and, and things like that. Yeah, and and it wasn't until I um, I moved to Canberra when I'd been maybe working about five years, and and a lot of grads, you know, after five years, you're kind of at at a crossroad and going, mm-hmm. oh, what do I want to do? Do I want to stay as a GP? Do I want to Go down the line of one of my interests or, or whatever, yep. and and then fate intervened because I was quite happy being a GP vet, and that's why most people go into being a vet. They don't they don't have aspirations to you know go into integrated medicine or, or anything alternative. Um, but I was asked by a colleague of mine um, when I moved to Canberra to look after her practice while she was ill, and that lady was another veterinary acupuncture pioneer and that was Rebecca Palmer Mm -hmm. Um, and then sadly she was battling cancer at the time and she passed away a few months later and her husband said that it was her vision to set up an integrative practice before anyone even knew it was a word Um, and could I continue in her name no wow and and it was sort of it was like a, a fortunate time and and maybe you know. It was meant to happen because at that time I discovered I was pregnant with my first child mm-hmm. and I had terrible morning sickness. But if I worked in the integrative practice doing the acupuncture stuff, I felt okay. Oh, if I really? went in locum as a general vet, I would vaccinate a dog, go out, throw up, come oh, back gosh. in, vaccinate another dog. <laughs> And I still remember the practice manager looking at me with such sympathy going, Oh, you caught me. So I kinda thought, Oh well, let's let's see where this goes because then I was able to work from home doing a little little practice from from a room with my child Mm -hmm. at the time and then I had another one and um, and so I enjoyed having my kids with me while having a little practice and doing a lot of Professional, you know, development stuff at the time. So I say to people, the best time to do extra learning and and studies is when you have little kids because you're awake a lot of the time at night. (laughs) And there was no Netflix or anything then, so I just studied. Yeah, Um, it's a good use
0: of your time. And at that
1: time too, you know, I went to a postgraduate foundation course. uh, I think it was endocrinology or something, and and um, the there was talk about a animal chiropractic course being developed and it was starting the next year and it was Mm. the first university accredited course in the world and that was the RMIT animal chiropractic course. Yeah, which doesn't run anymore, does it? No, so there's a story to that. So I went off to this course um, and all I knew at the time was how to spell the word chiropractic. (laughs) I was an absolute newbie at it. Mm -hmm. And the first workshop that I attended to was mind-blowing because the emphasis was on health mm. and how the whole body had to be in balance rather than our usual Western concept of health, which is look for the disease, fix that one thing, yep. look for another disease, fix the other thing, and none of it was co- connected. Yeah. So, so that... Fascinated me, and and that was the start of my journey, really. Yeah. Wow. So that course went for I don't know, um, maybe ten years or so. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. I was part of the teaching group there, and then RMIT went through a stage where they closed down a lot of the external courses, not just ours, but lots of them, and and we thought it was such a valuable set of skills and resource that it shouldn't just die. Um, yeah. Then it took us about five years as a group to um, work through the accreditation process and um, and now the course is being delivered through Box Hill TAFE as the Graduate Diploma in Animal Biomechanical Medicine. Ah, uh, right.
0: Now, okay.
1: we changed the name because um, – Chiropractic is actually a protected word, and unless you're a human chiropractor and qualified as such, you shouldn't really use that term. And and the same with osteopaths, because we do allow osteopaths, Well, we welcome osteopaths to join our course. So we came up with a different name, which was actually very sensible, because biomechanical medicine totally describes what we do. We look at the body as a whole to see how it's all put together. As one of our teachers used to say, it's all connected. Yeah. Um, and we look at it from a functional point of view, not just from an anatomical point of view. Yeah, you might see things on x-ray, but how how does it function as a living, working, moving body, mm. and where are the imbalances? So the most important thing we teach our students is how to feel things with your hands. Yep. Never mind all those expensive tools you have out there. Your hands are the most expensive tool, you know, most valuable tools, yeah. and they'll tell you so much. Yeah. So yeah, so that's where we are at the moment. Um, COVID kind of yeah, it's put, makes well things we were. I say we were smart before it all happened because we'd just gotten reaccredited again, and we thought, well, we might take a year off. That was in twenty twenty. Take a year off to get our paperwork up to scratch. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to waste time cancelling anything because it wasn't happening any anyway, um, and we're working really hard and ready to go for 2022. So, oh, good. That's um, good. At a time where a lot of courses aren't running because they have a huge international component, mm. um, ours is wholly Australian. And I think I think I said, you know, I, I pushed quite hard and we've worked to, together as a committee to make this happen because I said there's a huge need for it. There's lots of practitioners out there, whether they're vets, osteopaths or, um, or chiropractors that are keen for it. And there's nothing there's nothing available because international courses can't come to Australia. Yeah. And we are totally sick of doing online stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: Everyone is fatigued by that, aren't they, at the moment? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. And so obviously you utilise a lot of your um, chiropractic and acupuncture skills in practice. So yes. can you um, outline sort of what a typical day looks like for you and, and what are the cases that you see sort of most benefit from these treatment modalities?
1: Well, um, probably I get a lot of musculoskeletal cases as people would expect. Yeah, um, They tend to be old stiff dogs, old arthritic dogs, um, and, and the ones with injuries like cruciate disease or shoulder lamenesses patella problems bad backs lots of those so those sort of things that um, the the management of them not just the surgical options or whatever but the management of them after that is um, is a little bit lacking in in the um, conventional toolbox mm. Um I have a lot of sporting dogs, the agility type dogs, um, show dogs, and I remember as a student saying, you know, hearing that um, show people could be quite fussy because they get really concerned about this leg turning slightly in or out, and right. and the vets wouldn't know what to do with it because on an X-ray everything looked totally yeah. fine, and I love fixing these things because. From a functional point of view, the leg is turning in. That's an imbalance, and mm. it's really easy to fix that sort of stuff. And it's much better to fix it in that stage than Absolutely. to wait for the elbow arthritis down yeah, the track. Yeah, definitely, that's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, and then and and then with my acupuncture type of stuff, I do a lot of skin problems. Again, something that okay. is a chronic thing that's not well managed with with our you know general practice toolbox. Um, and and diet's are an important part of that as well as as nutritional supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, and and lately too, one of my favourite things to treat is are cancers. Right. Now, from a from that point of view, the the hardest thing is to change your mindset about cancer. As soon as you think of the word cancer, you're already defeating yourself because it's such a horrible word. Mm, it is, but. When I use my uh, traditional Chinese medicine toolbox, I look at it as an imbalance in the body. You know, it's like, well, this is the area that's stuck. This is an area that's weak. I can do things that are stuck and, and, and weak. So I use that and then I you know, give them the appropriate Chinese herbal medicine or mm-hmm. supplements. And a lot of these animals do really well um, and they feel really well when they go for their chemotherapy in, in conjunction with what I do. yeah, um, yep. Some people choose not to go down the chemotherapy path or the radiotherapy or whatever. So if I can boost the dog's well-being and improve their immunity, they stay better for longer. And a lot of my clients go, are you sure this dog is still sick from this <laughs> stuff? And I go, yep. But if we can give it better quality of life yeah. for longer, then, then that's something the owner's... Really
0: value and cherish. Well, that's the, the you know should be the primary goal really for every case, yeah. shouldn't it? The quality of life and you know the, the the length of life is important, but obviously if that length of life isn't quality, then what's the point? Correct. So yeah.
1: And and you know I don't I don't claim to cure any cancers, although I've had two two bladder cancers that ended up living five or six years, one of them ended okay. up dying of some heart disease um, and another one is still going and wow. she's had two cruciate problems in the meantime and, you know, various other things, but she's still going, so I'm pretty yeah. sure she doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, wow, uh, But amazing. when you look at it really simply from a Chinese medicine imbalance or, or those point of view rather than thinking of it as cancer, it takes that stress out of you, you know, yeah. as a practitioner
0: and i'm sure if the owner is also less anxious and less stressed about it then that's only going to benefit the patient and being their pet as well um, because you know oh, s- certainly yeah. that would have you know, an impact the,
1: the closest the closest individual to the pet is the owner so so the owners have to have a really positive attitude mm. um, and and i remember years ago i had a german shepherd with Hind end weakness, and when I said to the owners, oh, "I think this is probably degenerative myelopathy," um, you could see the owners just become so sad. And this, you know, the, the owners were great, but they were so kind. Um, and the uh, the dog was a very positive dog, but over a number of weeks, you could see this dog just shrink into itself mm-hmm. because it's not why the feelings. owners were so sad. Yeah. And and I tried to get the owners to to strong and positive, but it was not to be and, and that dog didn't end up going for that much longer. Mm. So our mindset is very important um, and there's plenty of studies out there that tell us that the way we look at things will affect our um, our physical health.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's like the mind-body access, isn't it? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, wow. And so I, for most cases, are you using a combination of herbal medicine, acupuncture and chiropractic treatment or do you really sort of select, um, you know, one or the other depending uh, on the case? No, so
1: I have, I have all these tools in my toolbox that I've picked up over the years and when I, when I see an animal, the animal tells me what's mm. appropriate. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, people come in, sometimes people come in and say we want acupuncture and that really restricts who I am I'm yeah. trying to then fit into a different mold and I'd much rather um, do what I feel is appropriate for the time and best for the dog. Yeah. Um I mean there's still, you know, parameters if the dog doesn't I've got different formulations of supplements, so I say whether they like liquid, powder or pills and, yeah. and then we can work with that. But from the body work point of view, I feel the body, work out where the imbalance is and then and then um, Maybe intuition, maybe just experience tells me what's going to work for that day. Probably a combination of both. So always, the most important thing is to listen to the animal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And are you finding that your clients um, comply with your treatment plans and and sort of give the herbs appropriately? And uh, do you have any issues with that side of things?
1: Oh, Yeah. Owners are people are people, mm-hmm. and if they don't give it, it doesn't work as well. Yeah. If they don't give it at all, then it doesn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then we move on to Plan B, or you know, find a different form, or it just takes longer. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, or I say I do have a an amazing nurse now that I've trained up over the years with um, with the rehabilitation part of it. Yep. And I've taught her how to do that that palpation thing to feel what the body needs. So. In a lot of these musculoskeletal cases now, I'll, um, because I'm so busy, I send them to her for follow-up laser therapy and rehabilitation therapy, and she'll come back to me and say, "Oh, I think you should have another look at this dog because something's changed" or something okay. like that. So, oh,
0: well, that's so great that to have her. She sounds like a
1: great asset. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm not getting younger, and <laughs> it gets tiring.
0: <laughs> and you, yeah, you run a solo practice.
1: Correct. Yeah, and this sort of stuff is really taxing on the brain. You know, for, mm. I find it exhausting. Yeah, um, just because you're thinking so much and you're so you're trying to be in tune with the animals. At the end of the day, my brain's just had it. Um, yeah. But saying that, I don't take on the the imbalance or the ills of my patients. So, as part of the animal biomechanical medicine course, we teach you how to look after yourself and how to protect your own. Body from taking on taking on all those all those vibes, I guess, for a okay. better
0: word. What are some of the things that you do to protect yourself from those vibes? It's
1: it's something that I think is actually important in um, in our way of looking at medicine. So I say to people, Western medicine is all about training you as a practitioner to make all the decisions and to be in charge. So. You look at the animal, you diagnose what's wrong, and you treat it, and you're responsible for that outcome. Mm. Um, This sort of work I do is about being a facilitator. Mm -hmm. So I listen to the animal; the animal tells me what's wrong, and I set up the situation. I facilitate the healing. So I say, you know, it's it's sort of like, well, this is what I do. Is that going to help you with your healing? Because ultimately, it's the it's the patient that has to do the healing absolutely i can't force it on that patient so so if you do it that way there's less stress mental stress and physical stress on you Mm -hmm. because you're you're a you're a facilitator you're like you know one step away from it um and then i encourage the owners to take an active um approach to to the dog's health as well so when they come on board then the the uh, patients know that they're being supported by their owners. The owners feel as though they're helping and um and I just set things up for, for it to happen. Yeah, press so well, on me. Yeah. Um and and then when you do that, you're not in their space, so you don't take on some of those bad vibes. You're just yeah. a listener, you know. Yeah. You're an observer.
0: Yeah. And that I think makes that's sense. really important. Yeah, and it's it's a very um, sort of naturopathic style philosophy as well that you're just supporting the body to heal itself at the end of the day, and there's a yeah, you know yeah. there's a limit of what you can do, and then the rest of it is really up to the body and sort of if you can set the set the body up to you know best be able to to battle whatever is going on and and to yeah. heal then then that's all really we can do,
1: and and there's so many times where you know you kind of get the idea that this animal said oh finally. Why didn't somebody ask me, you know? Yeah, right. Sure, I'm this is what's wrong and, and I'm happy to to work at it if somebody just had asked me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And when you're so in tune with your patients, like it sounds like you are, then I'm sure that you, you get those messages all the time.
1: Well, it's it's more about setting your your brain up. So I kind of say to people, it's like it's like I'm a magnet or mm. or the animal no, I think I'm the magnet and the other one, the animal is like the, the the metal mm. and I can feel you know the, the, the where it draws me into different areas and 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 the the flavor of how that feels for one yeah. of a better word
0: wow so interesting Annie you've mentioned so far um just treating dogs but do you treat cats or any other species
1: as well oh absolutely so so mostly it's dogs I do get some cats come in mm-hmm. um, but pretty much anything that walks in my practice I'll have a go at because I chose not to own a car I don't go out anywhere but Mm. I have had times where I'm on my way to the train station or I'm on my way to the clinic or something and then I'll stop in and and treat an animal on the way Um, okay so yeah certainly a few cats Um, I've had the odd rabbit, ferret, um, chicken, Mm, Uh, somebody brought a goat once and I've had I, I jokingly say I've had a 100% success rate with cattle because <laughs> I've seen two downer cows and they both got up. <laughs> and, and both times I've had good clients that said, if I come and pick you up and take you to my cow, will you look at it? <laughs> so, so, you know, those sort of things, just out of curiosity and for something different to the general sort of stuff I do, then, then I'll go out.
0: Yeah, um, it breaks up the day too when you get to go out to a farm and see a sad. cow. Uh, unfortunately,
1: these days I'm too busy for that. But, yeah. you know, I did have a I did have a good friend of mine breed her horse in a float once and oh. we did it out on the nature strip, me standing on my neighbour's fence <laughs> to get the
0: height. <laughs> oh, amazing. And so with the, the chiropractic treatment that you offer, um, I know there's a few different styles of chiropractic treatment that are out there. I actually did study chiropractic science before I moved over to vet science, oh, but cool. I, I can't yeah. remember too much about it, to be honest. Um, but are you practising a particular technique and does that differ between sort of cases? I, I, I know with people, you know, we think of chiropractic chiropractors as sort of cracking your joints. Um, Correct, yeah. Are, you, yeah. are you taking a more gentle approach with um, your animal patients and and using sort of, um, you know, different techniques. Can you, can you tell us a little so, bit about that? So,
1: so, yeah. So chiropractic, you know, as you say, most people associate it with a cracking kind of manoeuvre. Um, but in actual fact, you know, there's more than 20 different modalities within chiropractic itself. Mm. So in our course, we certainly teach what we call the HVLA, which is the high-velocity, low-amplitude approach, which is the adjustment. Um, We have a lot of what we call soft tissue non-thrust approach, which is probably a a blend of a lot of osteopathy stuff where we follow the fascia and work with the soft tissue and stuff like that, um, as well as some of the other modalities within chiropractic. Um, So we're not purists. We just work with what's effective yeah, for sure. at the time. So if you've got a dog that you know, doesn't like the sound of the activator, which is a chiropractic yep. tool, then we do something else. You know, If the dog is really stiff, then you kind of go, well, the manual adjustment is not going to be great here because yeah. yep. it's going to be too sore. So let's do some tissue releases first. Let's do some acupuncture. Um, and the way I describe it is um, I have this analogy where chiropractic opens the doors Acupuncture sends the the energy, for one of a better word, through those doors, and osteopathy is like the roadmap that tells you which doors to open oh, and how it, how it all goes. Yeah, so it's it's nice, easy concept for for most people to to understand, and that's how I look at it. You know, when I feel a spot that's stuck, I go, well, what's the what's the gentlest, most acceptable way to to approach this first? So often, it's a little bit of tissue release. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then we see if that's enough and if it's not i might do a gentle adjustment and then or, or i might do some acupuncture to to get rid of some of that
0: stuckness and do you finding that most of your patients are really amenable to treatment do you have many issues with that side of things do they generally enjoy it
1: um don't know about enjoying it but they certainly they certainly comply so for the last year nearly 2 years since since the the pandemic um, as with most clinics, we've had the you know social distancing approach. Mm. So I moved my clinic from I have a I have a, a room out the back of my property. So I work from home. Um, I moved it to outside onto my driveway. Oh wow! And and on my deck if it's raining. <laughs> um, and my driveway is a big open space. So the clients are at one end and the The dog can see, the dog or the patient can see their owner, so they feel um, reassured that the owner is still there. And then I attach their lead to a big heavy thing like a um, a wheelie bin full of metal or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I haven't had anybody hold the dogs for me for nearly two years now. wow. Um, and the dogs are great and, and being outside, you know, a lot of them come straight in and they go, Where are those chickens? And so, <laughs> so their mind is occupied and looking for the chickens or the cat that strolls past or whatever it is and they go, Great, now they're now they're focused on something else, I can do my work. Yeah. And most you know, the, the the importance of my approach is is compliance and to as I said, to listen to the animal and go, Well, what do you need? I'll help you with it. So so we're working together as a team and I think that's, that's important. Occasionally Absolutely. I have one that, one or two that, you know, is more difficult so I try to book them in for um, my one day a week at a general practice clinic where mm-hmm. I do this sort of stuff and that's where my nurse is so yeah. that, that, that at least that's there's somebody some else there to, yeah. to help me manage the, the patient.
0: Wow, I can't believe that you do all of it by yourself. Are you doing after-hours cool. work by yourself as well?
1: No. So, so this is the beauty of integrative medicine. There's no after hours yeah. involved. <laughs> Definitely a perk. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and at, at this stage, like a lot of other clinics, I've been, like, I've been busy for a long time now anyway, but at the moment, I'm, I'm booked up for about... 10 to 12 weeks oh my goodness no emergency involved there and and I do have a cancellation list and sometimes people do have to wait a couple of months to see me Mm. um I felt really bad about this for a long time but there's only me in this you know yeah you can only do do. what you can do so my strategy is to encourage this the teaching and to and that's where you know I think I return my contribution to to the veterinary profession is to teach so that other people can share those skills and then they can offer it to their patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there's a huge need for it. So. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I notice on your practice website that you offer a service that I had never heard of before called homotoxicology. (laughs) I'm really curious. I know that it is related to homeopathy, but I'm really curious about this. Um, What is homotoxicology and how do you use that?
1: So, homotoxicology is a variation of pure homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a trained homeopath, so I can't give you the details of how it works, but I can just give you a brief general outline. Okay, um, perfect. So, in homeopathy, they, they have an active substance that's diluted, extremely diluted in water, mm-hmm. and then it's prepared in a way that sets up a bioresonance of the substance within the liquid. Um, and then when it's given, it, simula- it stimulates an active response in the individual. So when I think of this, I always think how similar this is to the way vaccines work. Yeah. Um, pure homeopathy is very specific to the clinical science that the individual presents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got a pain, you've got a, it's specific to the location, whether it's in the head area or the abdomen or the legs or whatever, how intense the pain is, the type of pain, whether it's dull or sharp whether it's better with hot or cold, rest of exercise and so on. Homotoxicology kind of blends different homeopathy products together and it's more general. So there's one that I use for arthritis that I really like, and, and it's very rare, and of course, we can't say never, that has any side effects. Okay. So, it's great for all those dogs that are old arthritic with kidney failure and sensitive guts where non steroids can be a problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't, I, I'm kind of the person where I look at a, pro, uh, uh, a new product or a new modality. I look at the signs, and I, and then I'm comfortable with how it works, and I promptly forget all the signs. <laughs> yeah. it's like, yep, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a practitioner. I just know how to use this stuff, and and there's other colleagues of mine that are really good with the signs, and there's papers out there, but I don't. I'm not the personality that can, that will go out there and and. Fight the fight with the um the skeptics and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Well, if you're seeing something working, then you know the anecdotal evidence speaks for itself,
1: doesn't it? Correct, but but the skeptics aren't going to accept that. So I'd rather not. I'd rather not waste my energy. <laughs> you know, and, and the people that I teach, well, they're already they're at least open to to looking at something. So I'm happy to you know to to expand their knowledge.
0: And yep. so are you finding that a lot of um, your clients are open to using these other modalities um, as well as, you know, your traditional sort of chiropractic and acupuncture
1: offerings? Um, well, it kind of, it's yes yes, and no because the the main restriction is what the animal will take. Mm. So a lot of people say, well, I can't kill my dog or I can't, you know, yeah. the, the, the powder tastes terrible or whatever it is. So yeah. then we might use the homotoxicology because it's, tasteless or, or we might do something else or we might change the diet because what you put in the body is probably the most important thing and um and, and good nutrition is probably a keystone to a lot of health as we know for ourselves. Yeah.
0: I believe that definitely. And what is your just quickly I know we're going off off topic a little bit, but what is your approach to diet? Are you someone who recommends, you know, a pre made commercial diet or a, a you know a balanced homemade diet? raw versus lightly cooked
1: versus fully cooked. I
0: know there's so many opinions. So
1: again, you know what? I listen to the dog Mm. because the dog's going to tell me. Lots of dogs do well on commercial um, dry food diets Mm -hmm. and then I don't touch it because they're okay. Mm -hmm. But the ones that come in with, you know, stinky, greasy skin, you kind of go dry food might be a problem here because it's how the the food is processed that's the problem not so much the ingredient because a lot of people go with you know grain free is better and all these sort of things yep. but I say to people you eat salads in summer you have a roast in winter yep. so a dry food is even more ultra processed than that so it tends to make the body hot mm-hmm. um, and dry it up so it's not using its fluids properly yep. so in those sort of cases I might say to them well let's have a look at the diet what are you prepared to do so yep. um, They can make their own or have some recipes, but a lot of people look at the stuff that's easy on the recipe, like, oh, yeah, here's the meat and here's the veggies and stuff, and then they forget all those essential nutrients at the bottom that are just as important. And I go, well, that's not balanced. Where's your calcium? Yeah, yeah. And they go, what calcium? Oh, here it is at the bottom of the page. Yeah, that one.
0: Can be a little dangerous, (laughs) can't it?
1: Absolutely. So, so there's luckily quite a few reputable companies out there that produce either a, a cooked roll or a, or a, a raw diet that mm-hmm. I'm happy for them to try. Yep. And as with everything, you've got to try it first, and if it's no good, then we move on. Yeah. Um. And and just lately, um, I've been promoting another colleague of mine that produces a home cooked, home delivered diet. So I think. You know, some some of my clients that are looking for that extra thing and yeah. want the confidence the without the added well. stress, yep. they're happy to look at that as an option. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's filled a niche that that's helped that was me needed. out Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not a nutritionist at all, and I do send them off to colleagues of mine that have those further qualifications. Mm-hmm. But feeling the body, I can feel if you know it needs to be cooled down if it needs to be warmed up or or whatever that makes perfect sense i
0: love your sort of bespoke approach to all of your cases and how intuitive it seems that you are it's um you no wonder you're booked out for 10 to 12 weeks ahead because it sounds like such a unique and um you know treasured approach and obviously you've got a real gift there so it's lovely to hear well, about you. it thank
1: you but i think you know that's where that's where our our being stuck with that evidence-based approach is doesn't quite work because we're all individuals, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I've i got two kids that are that love each other the bits, but my son loves curries and my daughter loves watermelon and cucumbers. <laughs> and guess what? He's a very cold type of person yeah. and seeks heat and she likes to be cool. Yeah. So when they were growing up, I didn't... Certainly, I didn't cook two types of food because I'm a terrible cook. But <laughs> <laughs> but they had to eat a, at least a bit of everything. But then they could, you know, they could they could choose what their preferences were yeah. yeah, because. listen to their bodies what your constitution is
0: yeah definitely
1: that's that's important too it's very
0: um similar to the ayurvedic doshas um, yeah as well which i know sort of overlaps with everything with chinese medicine in some some ways as well absolutely
1: these are all the traditional cultures that we you know we've lost a lot of that that knowledge or that respect for the knowledge Mm, um i remember years ago a colleague and my and I went to Sri Lanka to do some pro bono talks. Mm-hmm. And just before we were there, there were other mainstream vets that had gone there and they talked about all the expensive equipment that could do different diagnostic type things. And then they talked about, oh, there's no evidence for herbs and whatever. Mm. And at there they were quite puzzled because herbs is a huge part of their yeah. culture. Yeah, you know, know. this is, this is how they grew up. They yeah. knew to eat different herbs for different things. And when somebody says, "Oh no, that's a lot of bunkum." It's it really It's actually disrespectful. Kind of, well, it was a bit insulting even yeah. maybe, but they were too polite to say that. And then yeah. we came along and said, "Oh yeah, no, this is lovely stuff and yeah. you know, you don't have the tools for these expensive drugs, but this hair will do the job, and they loved it.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's so in line with, you know, their
1: culture and their sort of Absolutely, innate beliefs. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I remember the little, the little Rickshaw man, you know, not, probably not particularly educated, and he took us on a bit of a touristy trip and he took us to a, a market and he showed us this vegetable and he said, good for diabetes. And yeah. it was Mordecai, and if you look at all the studies now, they say it's good for diabetes, but
0: really? he knew that. Yeah, just just intuitively, yeah. Part of his culture, you know. This is what his mother said probably
1: and his grandmother. And
0: Yeah, you're right. It's important that those um, traditions stay alive as much as possible. And, and have you imparted, are your children sort of interested in what you're doing? Have you imparted your sort of knowledge of Chinese medicine on them?
1: Uh no. No, no. I don't think there's many veterinarians where their offsprings have gone, Yeah, I want to be yeah. a vet. Not these days. Because they look at the lifestyle and yeah. they go, Yeah, no, not I for know. me. <laughs> um My my son um is an IT geek. Okay. And and um sadly vets in general are really bad at IT stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what he's told me anyway, and I've seen it myself. You know, we don't have that mindset of saying – Let's try this and let's try that because bad things happen if we just go and explore stuff with animals. Yeah, but, you know, your IT people have to press buttons and, yeah. and just see what happens. And they
0: can delete things so, and backspace. And, so yeah. yeah.
1: So he and 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 he's he's just gotten a job in cybersecurity. So okay. I think he'll be okay now for yeah. a long time. So yeah. yeah definitely. And my, both of them actually studied engineering and, and my father was an engineer and I actually come from a long line of engineers on, okay. on my paternal side, Yeah. but I look at the sort of work I do in, in, in veterinary medicine as a bit of engineering. It's how the body's put together It's biomechanical, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I kind of go, well, it's still like engineering and, and Absolutely. when I was selecting my so you know, my courses for after after year twelve, I did put engineering down second after veterinary medicine.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, how different your life yeah. could have been if you went down that path.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know, but I think I think the most important thing is to be true to yourself. Mm. So I kind of think that it didn't really matter what I did; I would still be Kim, and that's that's yeah. the important thing to remember. Yeah, um, I would have still made. I would have still made whatever I did as enjoyable as I can. Um, and, and I remember, you know, my dad kind of, he just liked his work, but he wasn't a people person. And I could see that he didn't really like his job. Mm. Um and then then my ex-husband was the same you know he was maybe 2 years out of uni and he just talked about what he would do when he retired and I yeah, kind of thought sad. why would you waste your whole working life waiting to retire why don't yeah. you enjoy what you do now yeah so I, agree. I think that's my mindset and it didn't really matter what i did i would have you would made a positive enjoyable. contribution to it yeah
0: Oh, that's a, a really nice way to sort of wrap up our episodes. I know we're getting close yeah. to time. But, Kim, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us um, before we sort of say goodbye about anything at all?
1: Well, I did I did have a bit of a think about it. And, and um, for all those vets out there, never stop looking and learning mm-hmm. and always have an open and inquiring mind because mm-hmm. the greatest discoveries have been thinking outside the box. Yeah. And again, that why and what if. So yeah. if you can learn the skills of listening to your patients. Um, Taking the time. And, and one of the things I do with my palliative care is I can let my clients know when, when their pets have had enough. So that yeah. they really appreciate that. So, yep. And again, listen to your clients. They know their, their pets best, yep. and they can even pick up those subtle signs of dysfunction because before it's you know yep. something's just on, not quite right evident on diagnostics. Yeah, um, and and listening to your clients, it's something that I really cherish because you know if I need a plumber or an electrician or somebody to fix my fence, I ask my clients. Yeah. And in the early days, I even learned how to raise my children from the words of wisdom shared by yeah. my
0: clients. That's lovely. And I still
1: remember one of them, and it was actually a bloke that said, when they're little, they break your arms, and when they're older, they break your heart. And Absolutely. I have never forgotten that.
0: Yeah. I think it's a very long um process of heartbreak, being a parent, <laughs> it sort of start, uh, well, starts early on. I haven't broken
1: my heart yet, but, you know, hopefully I've given them enough words of wisdom or guidance that they're, they're nice and strong on their feet. Yeah,
0: it sounds like it. Oh, well Kim it's been so lovely to meet you even if it's over the phone and, and talk with you about everything and you're certainly a um, very inspiring person and I know that all of your patients and clients are so lucky to have you so um, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. Thank you Sarah. And just before we go you able to share where people can get in contact with you um, you know any website or anything like that um, so we can pop it in the show notes of the of the episode.
1: Sure. so so i have a website called geelongcreatures.com.au, yep i think that's one my son set up and, <laughs> and there's a contact us page on okay, that okay perfect um and there's also a phone number so the easiest the easiest thing is actually just to text me a message okay or to leave a message on my contact number on my Great. mobile number okay um, because as most people you know encounter emails you just get so many emails every day. Yeah. There's so much junk. It's so much promotional yeah. stuff. And yep. they can get
0: lost. They can get lost. Yep. Well, that's good. I'll, I'll definitely put those um, those little contact um, tidbits in the in the show notes for uh, for all our listeners to check in with you, and maybe book an appointment with you um, four months in the future.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. There you go. Thank you for that. Thank thank you, you. Pure Animal Podcast, for inviting me to come along.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure, Kim. Thanks, and you have a wonderful day. You too. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed our chat with Dr. Kim Lim today, then please feel free to jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review.